Story number one, a peculiar contract written by Ludo Mastro. With my back turned, I heard someone knock on the door of my office. I waved my left hand behind me while stirring the potion deosol with my right. Whoever it was would have to wait for a few moments. Thankfully, both students and staff knew not to rush me when brewing. Even the headmaster would not interrupt. At least, not again. Not after his eyebrows took a month to regrow. The potion turned a sickly green and 37 stirs of the ladle. Right on time. Then began stirring Windishens. The potion frothed for a moment before fading to a nearly clear color. Now, it only needed time. With an immediate task complete, I turned to the door and behind my least favorite student. She was beautiful, a given with her elven features. However, her face radiated conceit with the reacted poorly with the skin-deep beauty that she was graced with. If her father was not an enthusiastic donor and supporter of the academy, I doubt that we would have admitted her. She was likely destined to the end up as a trophy for one of the princes. Perhaps he would merely be in trance for a season by her beauty and then bid her and be done with her. Unfortunately, the youngest prince currently attending Blackford Academy thought more with his member than with his brain. Thus, it was possible, though I sincerely hope not likely that she could end up as small than a temporary ornament. The idea that any girl so vapid could be a mother of a potential heir to the throne of Albion made me ill. Nevertheless, I must live up to my responsibilities as an instructor. I put on my professional smile. Yes, we listened. How can I help you? I want to review my work for the summoning assignment. Of course she did. In her mind, I could do the work for her and then grade my own efforts when it came to the present to her summoning class. Nevertheless, I supposed I should spare the academy difficulties resulting from Daddy Dearest being upset that his precious darling had a beautiful face eaten by her assignment. I resigned myself to the bare minimum effort. I extended my hand for the parchment. She merely tossed it on my desk and began to look at her nails. How could she have been born into such an influential house, yet have less breeding than a daughter of a town scribe? I allowed myself half a sigh as I read the work in front of me. I was surprised. The summoning was well documented, if not inspired. I was about to comment on her improvement when I noticed a dwarven glyph embedded in one of the containment layers. No elf would use dwarven symbols in their magic. Well, no elf that had done their own work would do that. Eric von Standover, the poor, deluded fool, was the only dwarf in the same glass. He was a pushover and would have easily fallen prey to her charms. He was a bit hopeless and the second son of the previous dwarven king and, according to his brother, the king, an absolute failure of a dwarf. He had been exiled. He had opted to come and study magic at Blackford. A truly tragic thing that he showed just enough talent to continue his studies without enough talent to actually make use of them. Well, she intoned more impatiently while tapping her foot. I wanted to go by and visit Serendil, but I'm stuck working with this ridiculous assignment, as if it has any value that can be gained from summoning demons. Insufferable little... No, no. Gyaloth, don't call her names. Not even in your head. She's a name-dropping the Prince Royal because they actually do speak to each other even if the crown merely finds her father's money more useful and his family connections more so. She has more social standing to lose than you will ever have. 
After aligning myself with the cruel realities of life, I decided to teach her a lesson. While this borrowed work wasn't going to call up the Lord of Hell, neither would it call up a simple demon who was interested in a fair trade of information. However, it would call up something that she couldn't put back down. Perhaps the lesson would be, um, instructive. Also, if I'm being honest, I enjoyed the idea of being embarrassed. After all, the burned hand teaches best. I smiled, for you knew I could read dwarvish, or I could even claim that I assumed that it was a personal glyph rather than a dwarven one. Surely a student in her year should know better than to set up a containment layer with a non-personal information like that. The headmaster would sweep the whole incident under the nearest rug rather than admit that she hadn't gotten a useful education. Appears to be in order, Millicent. Don't try and summon anything before class tomorrow. They'll try to get you to sign a contract. She was out the door before I finished the first sentence. I finally gave in to my spite, even if only in my head. You spiteful witch. Just then, I heard a soft bell-like ringing from the invisible potion, as I added a steady trickle of magic to stabilize it and raise its potency. I put all thoughts of her purloined work out of my head. With that, I also pushed out the nagging feeling that I was missing something. Academia had several enchantment mithril laws. One of them was no matter your experience, no matter the value or importance of your research, you will find yourself teaching history of magic to first years. With a degree in resignation, I took up the position at my desk and nodded towards the lectern where the first of twenty-six students began their oral presentations. I was tempted to use a spell devised by a colleague to muffle sound. However, I had assigned each student their topic in an effort to broaden their minds. The least I could do was listen and see if they had learned anything. Never let it be said that I don't take my role as an instructor seriously. The first student was from a lesser noble family that placed undue value on status quo. I settled in and listened. In the first age, it was a suitable summary of the law of creation wherein our world was given form. She had glossed over many of the thorny theological bits and had stuck to the sanitized version on pacifism on the Yorks. All in all, a well-done and non-controversial summary. It was boring. It was safe. It was exactly what her family had expected. They wanted her to make contacts. They told her not to embarrass the family and wider stage. I suspected that they had told her that if she attracted the eye of a suitable second son, they could count her education as a success. She seemed quite prepared to live down to the expectations. What a waste. The next several presentations were more of the same. Boring, safe, practical, and without any glimmer of hope that they had learned the lesson that I hoped that they would. Finally, the kind-hearted elf with a modicum of arcane talent stood to deliver his report. I was interested in this young man because he showed a rare talent in the academy. Talent that far exceeded his seemingly limited arcane abilities. It was my hope to enroll him in the alchemy department. I knew, all too well, like the vice-like squeeze between family responsibilities and the thirst for knowledge. My family had been artificers and thus respected by the upper classes. His were simple bakers. Elves were but one of the races that mastered the arcane forces. However, it was the Falnar Iron Hand, a dwarven mage, who had drafted the audacious plan to banish humans from the realm. His work helped establish the peace that we now enjoy. A very nice point, and he hadn't even assigned this research to Iron Hand. This showed initiative. 
Perhaps I could find the boy a scholarship. However, what he said next made me truly proud. In conclusion, the popular theory that owls created magic, that we spread it to the other races and taught the civilization in the process is simply a myth. One might even go so far as to call it alvin propaganda. The human scholar Hothgar Wolfhide said it best. Those who do not remember history are doomed to repeat it. Let us remember the follies of our history and avoid repeating them. I started to clap. I couldn't help myself. It was bold, it was brilliant, and it was controversial. It was unvarnished truth. Yes, I would find this boy a sponsor. No, I would teach him even if I had to do so privately. We needed more people who were not afraid to shake up the status quo. The final student was a member of the cadet branch of the royal family. While she was unlikely to inherit anything other than the headaches from her association with the throne, she had freedom denied to those such as the current princess royal. Perhaps she could influence the family with some degree of sense. Was it because she could steer the royal cousin away from that idiot listened? That bore thinking about. I was so lost in thought that I nearly missed her excellent lesson on brandishment. Well, it is true that owls have a far greater affinity for arcane energy than any other race. Our magic is best used as an extension of our will. With a powerful conjurer, the phrase, he raged, burned, became far more than a simple expression. However, we are not as skilled as the dwarves at trying our arcane energies into physical realm. They will always be ahead of us in magical devices. It was in this way that Fowler Ironhand found his secret accomplishment to banishment. He created a storage well for the arcane energy conjured by the elves. His people maintained this well while ours filled it. Never think that we had more difficult tasks. The dwarves had to maintain a vessel that was in a constant state of arcane stress for over a hundred years. They continuously reinforced the vessel and redirect the chaotic energies within. And this is not all. They also devised a mechanism that allowed our queen to direct that energy into a banishment. Often forgotten is the role of the lesser races played. Bixies marked the humans while ogres and goblins twisted vegetation to further channel the energy. In all, the work of a century allowed us to remove the humans from our world and place them in hell. The resulting flashback of how polluted arcane energy turned the plains of Broman into a blasted waste known as the Bone Desert. But lesser known is the fact that the banishment could not have been accomplished without a contract. Before the century of energy was gathered, Queen Whisperwind sensed envoys to the human king. He agreed that the power to banish would be powerful aid at those that rule. However, King Serethus was a cautious human. He demanded, in acknowledgement of law, that a contract be drawn up. In this way, the awesome power of banishment could not be abused by any of the races. So a contract was created. It was a long and complicated and difficult to read. However, it contained examples. These examples showed less than 100 people being banished at once. However, the contract never specified an upper limit. It also contained examples of a majority of royal deciding when to use the power. Thus, King Serethus signed the contract based on his understanding of the examples rather than the binding wording. He failed to see the loophole that allowed the other races to hold a majority vote and banish the humans as a group. That is why, to this day, we speak of Serithus's folly, when anyone jumps to a situation without fully understanding it. Yeah, well, the Libid report. In fact, now that he considered it, the year would mark a 50th anniversary of the banishment. It was a cause for celebration. 
Humans were stubborn and nearly impervious to magic. They had truly been a foe to be feared. I hurried from the lecture hall to meet with the headmaster over a simple lunch. I was tempted to lift the hem of my robe and run as he hated to be kept waiting. However, he had been dangling my promotion as a master over my head for some time. Running was unlikely to exude the demeanor of a master. I had to hope that my latest work with potions of true invisibility would be enough. The headmaster's nasal voice was nearly lost in the breeze. Goliath, good to see you. How goes your research? Very well, headmaster. The royal guard picked up my most recent batch of true invisibility potions last night before I went home. They were pleased with the last batch and merely wanted to measure my ability to consistently produce them. I had undersold my work a touch, but the headmaster would know this and thank me. Ah, well, I hoped he would see the understated accomplishment rather than false modesty, but who knew with neither copper stag? He nodded. I heard from the prince that he had used one himself and felt it was worth a royal seal. My heart soared. At that point, I would have not begrudged the prince a tumble with Millicent, not even if it were in my own bed. Granted, he continued, the prince is not the queen, but if he is pleased, I think we can consider changing your title from simple instructor to master. I was stunned. Granted, I had expected it, but to hear him say it was even better. I felt invincible. Knowing that it was only a matter of time before Melissa's ineptitude caused me problems, I invited the headmaster to my next class, a summoning lesson. I hoped to show him firsthand the issues with the girl. The headmaster decided to sit in the back of the classroom. I went to the front of the room and placed down a circle of protection. Should the worst come and a student fail at containing their demon, the rest of us would be safe. Advanced classes have advanced risks. The first several students summoned imps and similar creatures. The forms varied from animals to grotesque creatures of elven kind. They asked petty questions and got petty answers. The saving grace was the costs were low. Finally, Ulrich von Sandover, outcast dwarven royalty, had his turn. He quickly and expertly drew multiple circles and glyphs. With a whisper of power, he energized them. Only after they were energized did I see the truly expert they were. He had taken multiple simple circles and interconnected them. Therefore, each served as a reinforcement for the others. It was an excellent solution given his arcane limitations. I decided that I had misjudged him. With a glance to the back of the room, I noted that the headmaster seemed equally impressed. The demon that appeared took the form of a midnight black warhorse. The coat seemed to absorb the light while the mane and tail were bright flames. Vapor escaped from the nostrils while the smell of ash permeated the air. Ulrich stepped forward and demanded its name. The demonic horse tossed its head again. He persisted. He merely stamped. Then Ulrich beat baritone rang out as a dwarven tongue. Thrice asked and once commanded by my power. I command. Name yourself. It slammed itself against the circles in an effort to break free. The circles held and it was compelled to answer. With a piercing scream, it answered, I am the Ashbringer, Flame Stallion, Sire of Legion. Speak your question, mortal. A nightmare, and it held a title. This was far more powerful than what I had expected. Perhaps all of us had misjudged the dwarf. I would rectify that later. Now I simply hoped that he could put it down. Exiled or not, Blackford didn't want to have a royal blood spill on the grounds. Ulrich grinned. 
Where does the swiftest of your progeny run the land? The demon tried to toy with him. Will you break my offspring? You're a weakling, cast off his own house. How can one be so useless? More useless than a demon who dares not obey a summoner. Ulrich will become a palpable force. The nightmare dipped its head in acknowledgement. The fastest of my fowls runs here in Albion, behind the lands of the Duchess Zuvian, Thunderspine, in a field ringed by Alm. He is grey and will answer to shadow. No, that he will only serve a king. With a swish of his flaming tail and asked, My payment, mortal? I'll gift him to the king, Ashbringer. Ulrich's smile had a vindictive edge to it. However, I was the only one who could see it. He willed the demon back to Hal, and the nightmare seemed to smile before it faded from view. Terrifying. Nonetheless, that had been a perfect example how summoning was to be done. I released a grip on my staff that I hadn't realized I'd been holding. Now, I would finally have my desserts. Millicent would receive her long overdue comeuppance. She referred to her parloined notes often as she drew the circle. With a mighty stomp of her foot, the circle spread to life a stunningly wasteful use of arcane power. She seemed to believe that her deep well of arcane power would only be the thing to succeed in life. As an instructor, a truly sad part was the wasted potential that she exhibited. We waited with bated breath, but nothing happened. She seemed surprised. I grinned. Just as I was about to mark her work as a failure, reality froze. It was only for a split second, but it felt as if something had torn a hole in the fabric of our world. On either side of the frozen reality, the circle changed. From empty to an alvanoid figure standing tall, it was covered with a hooded cloak. Millicent seemed confused. You aren't a demon I summoned last night. It's Larsong. The figure parted its cloak and pulled out a small leather valise. The hand was dark like an elf from the Spiderlands, but the fingers were thicker and shorter. From the valise, it withdrew a roll of parchment. Larsong is currently unavailable. As you agreed in the contact you forged with her, I am here in my student's place. I didn't agree to that, she sputtered. Ah, but you did. It was in the fine print. The voice was deep, rich, and melodious. It was the perfect voice for singing, and it was terrifying. The more the elven demon appeared, the more dangerous it was. The more beautiful its traits, the more terrifying its power. Millicent had summoned something truly terrifying, and had apparently done so by accident. The demon lowered the hood to reveal its eyes that were dark brown and skin that was the color of chocolate. There were no fangs or horns, only a dark curly hair that was cut close to its head. Trembling, I looked at the ears and saw that they were rounded, rather than pointed. The human looked over the parchment before continuing. Now, let me see. Ah, here it is. Your Millicent Nevia von Spring contracted Larsong Bone Grinder to give you an opportunity to bear an heir of the Albion throne. He looked over at the butcher eyeing a piece of meat. You are an attractive girl, so getting his royal highness to bed should be easy. Sensing great danger, I spoke. You were summoned. Answer a question and go. He locked eyes with me and held up the contract. It says right here in section J, paragraph 2, subpart 7, that I am suitable substitute for Larsong Bone Grinder in any matters regarding the throne of Albion. Further, she explicitly waived her rights to a simple question and answer in section A, paragraph 1, subpart 1, wherein she requested the assistance of, and I quote, any and all denizens of Hal in carrying out the provisions of section B through F. 
Headmaster screamed, You can't be here. You people were banished. The human male looked up from the contract. True, we were. However, law is law. She summoned a denizen of hell, and a denizen of hell came. That we are not native to the plane is irrelevant to the law of creation. She sealed the contract with her blood, and the law states that those of hell must comply. Or do you believe that the law should be overturned? I've never understood how verbal speech can convey capital letters, but it can. And to overturn law was to undo creation. It was impossible to even consider. The implicatable human turned back to listened, completely ignoring the rest of us. Given that the object of your affection is the third prince, you will be unlikely to give him an heir unless, well, unless he receives a promotion. For that, I will need assistance. The human smiled a broad smile that never reached his eyes. He stepped through the circles as if they weren't there, the dwarven rune flaring before it disintegrated. He walked up to my barrier and simply extended an arm through it towards me. In his hand was a copy of the contract. He motioned for me to unroll it. Per the provisions of Section J, Paragraph 3, Subparts 1 through 5, I am empowered as a demonic advocate to summon additional denizens of hell to carry out the contract. He stepped through my barrier and simply dusted off his cloak, flicked off the light from the room, and each one spitting yet another human into our reality. The human patted me on the shoulder. You'll find that everything is in order in the contract. It may have taken us 50 years to put a human in charge of the hellish bureaucracy, but, uh, well, a contract is a contract. Perhaps you should teach your students to read them more carefully. Haven't they heard of Serethus's folly? As the human walked towards the door, he turned back for a final time. I hear that loopholes can be abused if you aren't careful. This time, the smile did reach his eyes. End of story.